0: Gumption, defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, and shrewdness. Welcome to the podcast. This is Stories of Gumption with your host, Ryan Lee. Hello and welcome, everyone. Here we are with another uh, episode of the Stories of Gumption podcast. Today's going to be a really good one. Hope you enjoy. Uh, But let's talk about our sponsor. Yeah, we still have someone sponsoring this sucker. So we are sponsored by Open Gate Farmstead, a stone's throw away from the mighty Ossable River. Open Gate Farmstead is a first-generation farm specializing in free-range poultry, pasture-raised pork, and seasonal produce. The farm is run on a simple principle. Happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. You will find our chickens eating bugs on pasture, our pigs enjoying a mud bath or some acorns, and if you're lucky, the geese will be enjoying the pond. To watch and experience the Open Gate Farmstead journey, check out their YouTube page at Open Gate Farmstead or catch them on Facebook and Instagram. Reach out to them on social media to try the Farm Fresh difference. And as a special offer, for those of you who've been listening, you already know, if you're a new listener, any gumption podcast listener uh, is going to get a dollar off their first order of eggs. Doesn't sound like a lot, but these eggs are awesome, especially if you can uh, sucker them into giving you some duck eggs. It's like an egg with just tons of butter in it. I mean, it's fantastic. It's like the best thing ever. And my wife and I eat their eggs, highly recommended. Consider it. You get a dollar off your first order if you tell them you listen to the Gumption Podcast. So that's that. Today, today's a treat. Okay, we we always have awesome guests on this show, but um, today I'm really pumped about this one. So this person, I almost want to ask the question when we get started of what hasn't she done? But here are some of the things that our next guest has done. She's trained and accomplished in martial arts. Total total badass. Uh, she's traveled all over the world. Uh, she's been a mock perpetrator in a military exercise in Japan. Uh, she's been a wrangler on a dude ranch. She's worked at Kevin Costner's Midnight Star in Deadwood, South Dakota. Yes, she did meet him. She's raced sailboats in international competition. Uh, Locally, she's been the campaign chair for the United Way of the Adirondack region. She was recently elected board president of the Plattsburgh YMCA. I'm running out of breath here. And she is now the executive director uh, of the North Country Association for the Visually Impaired, NCAVI, and arguably, most importantly, mother of two. Welcome to the podcast, Amy Kretzer.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. I'm really happy to be here.
0: I'm happy to have you here. This is going to be a good conversation. And when we talked before the actual podcast, I just the stories were endless, and I wanted to listen to them all day. But um, of all your amazing stories, what would you say is one story of gumption that set you on the trajectory you're on today? And and how did that help define who you are today?
1: Well, listening to you describe some of the places that I've been and things that I've done at all, when you string it together like that, it sounds kind of ridiculous.
0: <laughs> it almost doesn't sound real. It almost but, doesn't sound real. But then um, you tell the stories and it's like, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> and I think that we all have, we all have those stories, right? You don't get to be 40 and, and not have a string of events that got you there, right? Um, to pick one story of gumption, I think, um, boy, you'd have to go back to really kind of questioning what is it, right? Like more, like specifically, what's Ryan looking for here? What, what kind of gumption is he, is he talking about? Because I think there are many kinds of gumption. Um, and I think what, uh, w- you can't really talk about gumption without also talking about fear. Mm. Because some people would say, boy, Amy Kretzer's fearless, right? And um, you couldn't get more further from the truth. Because fear is a very important part of gumption, mm. I think. Um, it's not about the fear; it's about doing it anyway, right? So when I was uh, when I was a kid, um, that the the fearlessness that people f- associate with gumption, it kind of develops when you're young, I believe, um, and I think your parents have a big part of it. I remember standing in the kitchen with my mom; she was doing the dishes and. Um, I was preparing for a meeting that night. Now, I was little, like 10 or 11. Um, and I was asked to be a student representative on our school board because they had this wild idea that we should have student representation um, come to these board meetings. Mm, and interesting. I, right. I was, yeah. I was young. I was in middle school. Um, and I was humbled and excited and like, why did they pick me? Um, didn't know. But, you know, there I was with my mom in the kitchen and I remember being terrified. I was like, "They picked me because they think I'm great, Mom." But I don't. I don't know why they think I'm great, and I'm kind of scared of it. Like, what if I'm not that great? What if I fail? What if I go in there and I don't have anything to say, or I want to? I say dumb things. What if I say ideas that are not possible or just foolish? And I was scared. And I was just. Mm. I remember sitting there, and, and she did. She never looked up right? She just kept doing the dishes. I said, just mom, I'm scared. And she said, well, so what? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, so what? You're scared. That's what, the,
0: that's what the best moms say. Well,
1: so she never even looked at me. <laughs> she didn't give me a pep talk or say, you're great. You're going to be awesome. She said, so what? And I remember thinking about that. And she said, Amy, fear ain't nothing but a thing. And I kind of, you know, tucked that in my back pocket and You know, that's, it's a story that goes back to the root of that. Like that, that feeling of, you know, I'm afraid of what's about to happen. And it's not about the, the lack of fear. It's about moving forward through fear anyway, despite the fact that you're scared. Um, And some of that just requires uh, that, that piece of grit. Um, And I don't know, I think when I, when I stick with the parenting idea, Mm. I think our parents put a lot of that in our head right and my mom to talk to her today she would say Amy you know I I gave you a gift when I every time there were consequences for your actions I gave you a gift because what she did in my life is hold me personally accountable okay but what that meant was that I was accountable for the good things and I was accountable for the bad things so when I succeeded it was because I was great And when I failed, it's because I screwed that one up, Mm
0: -hmm. right? And there was some
1: ownership about what you do. And in psychology, they'll call it internal locus of control or external locus of control. This idea that the world happens around me and I have some control over it um, is internal, right? If you do well on your test, it's because I'm smart. If I succeed at a sport, it's because I did a really good job and I practiced really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, Conversely, the external locus of control is that, you know, I did well on the test because the test questions were easy. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I failed at the sport because, you know, the weather was bad that day. Um, And I think what parents can do for their kids is really emphasize the idea that that kids have a responsibility for their successes and failures. They have control over it. It creates sort of a positive feedback loop in a way of uh, being able to fine tune the things that we aren't afraid to try, right? Mm-hmm. We're not afraid to get out there. So, you know, I think that relationship with fear is really, really important. Um, and she taught me at that young age that, you know, society w- wants us to push fear away. They want us to, to do everything we can to avoid it, right? You want to smooth it over, mm-hmm. take a pill, make it do, and God, anything, just to make it stop, Like, just make that fear go away because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. And mom standing at the sink saying, so what? So what? You're afraid. Of course you're afraid. You're about to jump out of a plane, Amy. Fear is a natural response. And we have a tendency to kind of think that that's a bad thing. Um, And it's not. Fear is not a bad thing. It's important.
0: In the first uh, episode of this podcast with my friend Jay, we kind of talked a little bit about that. Not from the psychology side of it, but just the general fact that if you're scared to get up and talk in front of people or do something, it's probably because you care about the outcome. You genuinely care. You care about what happens to you. You care about happens to everybody else and you want it to be positive. And that's a good thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, I mean, when you ask the question about gumption Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what is it? I think so much of it depends on your perspective, right? Like who's, deciding what gumption looks like and you can have a lot of different um different perspectives of the same incident I'll tell you the story and I was probably 27 I was uh at a conference in Alexandria Bay and the conference center for those of you who've been there it's beautiful there's a glass front to it a lot of windows looking out over the water and in the distance is a bolt castle and at the conference at 11 we had a break at 11 and we were to reconvene later on in the evening around five, and I had asked a lot of uh, my coworkers and everybody, you know, is, does anybody want to go see the castle because it's staring me down all day? And yeah. I, I was it's like, beautiful. Oh my "It's beautiful. It's beautiful castle. Yeah. It really is, right?" Yeah. And I was just drawn to it. I wanted to go over there. I wanted to, you know, see what that's all about. And nobody wanted to go. And uh, one of my um, supervisors said, "You know, I don't know if there's a lot of time for that. You know, you got to be back here. This is not a, you know, a." a an adventure for you to go have. Like, this is a conference and this is your responsibility to be here. And I said, yes, sir, I'll be back. You know, I, I'll be back. And he's, you know, off I went on the ferry. No, <laughs> nobody wanted to go. And that's fine. I mean, I, I didn't care. I, I thought it would be fun. So I was wearing this little white sundress and a hat and little red sandals. And off I went to go see the castle. And I got over there and I got lost in it. If you've ever been, you know, you just keep yeah wander yeah. around and it's so cool and i got towards the timing where i was going to maybe miss that last ferry and as it turns out it the timing was off and i was going to i was going to be oh, late no. if i had taken that last ferry i was going to be late and What'd i you was do? like shoot uh, well, you know. your boss
0: just told you uh, to make sure you're back exactly. <laughs> and you're stuck in an island oh, in the, man, I'm of about, the St. Lawrence River.
1: About to prove him right. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> so then I go out and I'm standing on the rocks looking at my destination, which is now the conference center, not the castle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know it's too far for me to swim. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a good swimmer, but that's, I, yeah. Okay. No. Um, so I see these two jet skis. And they're zooming around out there and, you know, they, they didn't look erratic. They looked safe enough. Um, and they looked dad-aged to me, which I laughed yeah. because now, you know, yeah. that's me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, see, they, were, they seem daddish. So I, I frantically wave my hat. I'm standing on the rocks and I'm waving my hat back and forth, back and forth. And, and they finally come over. Are you okay? You know, is everything okay? And I said, no, it's not. Well, what's wrong? Well, I got to get over there to that conference center and I only have 45 minutes and I've missed the ferry and I, I'm i just wondering if one of you guys can give me a ride. <laughs> and they look at each other like, is she for real? Who is this? Who is this girl? <laughs> you know? And so I, you know, he, he dug around and one guy said, well, I think I have my daughter's life vest, which now to me, the risk assessment part of this is A, they're dads, B, they're not drunk. They didn't appear mm. to be anyway. Um... They're conscious enough of safety that I'm not getting on that thing without a life jacket. So, Mm. you know, I mean, my risk assessment, I'm calculating all this as we go. And they throw me a a life jacket. And he said, well, you know, now that you've got 20, you know, 40 minutes to get back over to the conference center, do you want a tour? Because there's some islands right here that you really got to see.
0: Heck I say yeah. sure, right? As, <laughs> sign me
1: up. So I got this little tour. Now they potted around because while well, I'm wearing a white dress and I can't right, right. <laughs> can't get soaked for obvious reasons. And but they potted around through the islands for probably a half hour or so. And I got and told me the stories of the houses and the history of the people. It was fantastic. That's so cool. It was awesome. So I get back to the conference center and you pull right up. The docks are right there in front with the glass front, and I can see everybody inside and
0: i'm envisioning you like showing up like like a like james bond just <laughs> like i'm um, yep, yeah. on time I'm a couple minutes early actually
1: <clears throat> well yeah so i hop off give them their life jacket shake their hands slip my s- sandals back on straighten my hat and i walked back in there at 5 minutes to 5 and and you know <laughs> on the one hand i mean we this goes back to perspective right so i have one boss who says That must have been wicked cool. I'm going to talk to you later about that. I can't wait to hear that story. Um, And I've got another boss who said, that was really reckless and irresponsible and unprofessional. That kind of attitude. And then all the the people that were there with me, um, you know, I kind of, they didn't say anything, but I could feel, I could sense kind of this disapproving, like, there she goes again, like always at it. She's always got to make a friggin' entrance, you know, or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Um, But it's not necessarily a good thing. Right. Mm. So gumption, I, I think it has a lot of layers. Yeah. You know, because what what some person feels as adventure and resourcefulness and stick and problem solving. I mean, all of those things were true in that case, I feel. But so was um, some people would say that it was reckless and that it was dangerous. And I didn't know those people and they could have taken me somewhere. Um, you know, so I think that we constantly... Have to reevaluate what gumption is mm. and how is it going to serve us. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. Is it is it is gumption uh, a a uh, a reckless decision, like you said, or is gumption a uh, gutsy, um, courageous uh, decision, I, or is it all three? Uh, I don't know. Let Let's talk about that right? a little bit. Like. Obviously, I have in my mind what gumption is, and I, I think my default is to think of gumption in business or something where you maybe you fail three times and you keep going after it. You roll your sleeves up and you, you know you want to do this. This is your authentic passion, so you go for it. But I think gumption also, it, admittedly for me, I forget about gumption in daily life, maybe um, just daily decisions and how having gumption... Can be a positive for you. I don't know. What is your What is your thought of of gumption in that context?
1: Well, I I mean, I think it again. I think it depends on how you look at it and what time of life you're in. Uh, Sometimes it can serve you, and sometimes it doesn't serve you well. And I I think as a young person, um, for me, gumption isn't necessarily. the root of it may not always be positive, right? What motivates us may not be positive. The results could be okay, Mm -hmm. right? But when I look at myself, I kind of evaluate what, how did I get to be this person that does crazy things? (laughs) According, you know, as outsiders say that you do crazy things, Amy, you're crazy Um, or you're wild or you're bold or you're this or that. And um, I personally think those are positive things. Some people may think Mm -hmm. those are not so positive traits, but um, they've served me well. But just because I may have these positive traits um, doesn't mean that it stems from necessarily a positive beginning. Um, some of that, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think that. Um, for me, when I was 16, uh, my biological father died and my stepfather left our family. Um, and my mom was left alone to finish raising our family. And we had, a, at the time, a, a horse ranch and... We had a big farmhouse and all this stuff. And um, after he left, we were moved into a trailer across town. We had to sell the house. I mean, I remember coming home one day and mom had sold the kitchen table because she could get good money for it. And, uh, you know, divorces are messy. It takes a while to get things settled to where she was going to get money to support the family. So, um, you know, there was a period of time there that was really um, a shift and watching my mom struggle, she had been a stay-at-home mom, so she had nothing really to fall back on. She didn't have an education. Um, she had basically ded- dedicated her life um, to raising us kids. So to watch her be in a position of vulnerability, I think it something in me said, as much as I love my mom and respect ab- absolutely everything that she's done, I don't want to be in that situation. Mm right? I don't want to find myself unable to take care of my kids or unable to, uh, to survive. And I want to be self-reliant. And so there was a bit of self-preservation, I think, at the root of my quote gumption.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, and,
1: and I'll tell you the things that I was doing back then, you talk about martial arts. I had thrown myself at, uh, at age 11 into martial arts. So it was already something that I was doing, but, um, at the time I was, pushing through it in a very aggressive way Mm -hmm. I became very driven um and not just in that skill but in everything I ended up um being the the and this is going to sound like I'm tooting my own horn I'm not I'm simply using this as as uh, trying Mm -hmm. to paint a picture sure okay so I became the class president the student council president the national honor society president president. I, I developed a, an environmental studies group because we hadn't had any kind of recycling uh, program. I was in D.A.R.E. and Students Against uh, Drunk Driving, and um, I was in choir, and I was in sports, and I was in everything except Quiz Bowl, actually, <laughs> I think, my senior year. And the reason I'm telling you all this is not because it was gumption. I think if I, um, at 16 years old, if I had been prone to to having an eating disorder, I would weigh 500 pounds today. Hmm. If I was prone towards addiction, I would be one of those kids on heroin. Mm-hmm. Okay. I happen to hook on to overachieving, <laughs> which was probably arguably a, a better, Yeah. you know, it's it has served me better, but it's yeah. not any less destructive at its root in a way.
0: Yeah. Right? At the root, it's still gumption towards whatever you're, whatever you attach to. Right. No way.
1: But I was driven and a lot of people looking at me would say, gosh, you know, she's, some people would say she's doing so great. Look at her go. You know, and some people would be like, that girl is on a self-destructive path and she's, you I know, mean, even though it looks good, <laughs> what's mm. motivating it is this deep, um, Sadness in a way and a need for control. I was a kid out of control. Hmm. I was a kid out of control and I was grasping onto things to gain control of my life. So, lucky for me, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, there was that positive feedback loop that happens and a whole bunch of luck. A whole bunch of luck because I think we get rewarded for the things we do, right? I think you can, you know, you can experience things and it turned out positively and then you say, well, great, you know? And I think I was really lucky. I mean, one of those two guys on the jet ski could have been a real jerk. Um, yeah. Things could have gone wrong. But as it happens, I have had in my lifetime very lucky incidences. Um, fortunate that bad things didn't happen to me. Um, you, talk about, you talk about the, <laughs> the Japanese um, military base. My sister was stationed in Masawa, Airbase when she was in the military and I spent a month out there when I had um, finished my first year in college and so I was I don't know eighteen or nineteen and yeah um you know I'd gone out there to visit her and she was a police officer and she asked me a, a week or so in if I wanted to participate in this base exercise so. I'm like game on. I mean, yeah. you know, at the time I was feeling pretty bad. By the you? way, I'm not badass anymore. I mean, yeah. the martial arts thing is a thing from the past. So uh, we say that as if I'm, you know, Jennifer Garner from Alias, but not anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, right. you are. You don't give yourself <laughs> enough credit. You're just—it's a—it's modern. It's—it's it's professional. Amy versus. Uh, right. These we, are chapters. Quote unquote reckless. Yeah, Amy we all saying. have. But so, how old were you when you were in Japan and about to do this? Me I was 19. 19. I had turned okay.
1: 19 in March that year, so this wow. was probably May. And um, I went out there, and um, I was asked to do that base exercise. I said, "Sure." And what's you know what's the deal? And so her sergeant, Sergeant Garlic, gave me a head like um, a radio, so that I didn't, I wasn't completely in the dark. I was not unsafe technically. And he said, "I want you to rob a bank right here, and I'm, we'll go we'll go in and we'll rob it together." As in, he's going to tell all the tellers you're being robbed. Um, and I want you to give Amy five minutes head start and then I want you to call the police and the point of the exercise was to you know basically for the police to actually apprehend a a perpetrator Mm -hmm. and they have to do these this is something you know this isn't new and special Uh, something for me but it just so happened that I was there and they asked me if your kid sister wants to be um, the perpetrator so my sister says I'm not sure you want her (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she may not be the best person for this and he says well why and she my sister just sat back and she's like all right you asked for it so I um you know I robbed the bank verbally and then yeah uh, you know he went away and the police went away I and mean, everything you know it was all um begun essentially so I walk out of the bank and right outside of the bank there was a set of dumpsters and I crawled in that dumpster and i hid myself under layers and layers of garbage <laughs> down at the very bottom where i sat for 3 hours and i did it because i knew they would never think that that pretty little girl from <laughs> you know the midwest michigan is going to you know they just wouldn't expect it so i hid there for 3 hours and when i got out it was dark which i thought would give me cover and i followed the shadows along you know the base. I got to the like the um, it wasn't razor wire fence. It was the barbed wire fence. You yep. know where you go up and the yep. it angles yep. and and it's mm-hmm. full of barbed wire. So I threw my jacket over it and then I got on the outside of the base. So they weren't even and I I skimmed along that edge in the tree line, and kind of stayed off base where I could hear them because I have a radio, which. Arguably, a perpetrator might have access to that if they were good enough, you know. to if they were smart tapping enough, maybe into, they would. Yeah, they'd tap into that. I don't that. know. Maybe not. I'd like or to maybe think the, not. I'd like to think the military is um, protected. But um, in any case, it, it carried on. I, I got bored. So I would come back in to the base. And I ran my radio up and down the fence just to alert them. And I <laughs> was, you know, you're get, you get bored. You're like, okay, let's just see. Where are they? So. And they would be alert, you know, the alarms would go off and people would come running and I would hide in the woods. And it just, it occurred to me that these kids in the military, they're just kids like me. They're 19 year old from Detroit, you know, it's dark and there are woods and they're scared. (laughs) So they, they didn't want to come find me, even though they're highly trained. I have a lot of respect for our, our folks in the military. Yeah. Um,
0: they're people too.
1: Absolutely. And they're from Iowa or they're from, you know, inner city or they're from all over the place with lots of different skills and lots of backgrounds. But I'll tell you, they were nervous because I, I was h- at one point hiding in it, like in the woods down that the ferns were tall. So I was kind of crouched down and I could hear two guys coming towards me and they had their weapons and, you know, their flashlights. And they're saying things like, dude, I think I heard something. <laughs> dude did you hear did you hear that the other one's like shut up shut up it's you know? batman What? Well, yeah yeah they're like i don't know i, I don't i don't think I, I think that's an animal you know and yeah you know, just back and forth Amy Kretzer. <laughs> so you know to be fair if I, if I was if i had a weapon myself i like to think that they were targets because i could see exactly where they were with their flashlights on yeah. Um, yeah i'm this country girl i grew up out there uh in the woods and I mean, we digress a little bit from where this story stemmed from about how things can go badly, right? right? Um, right. I could have gotten hurt. I could have uh, hurt myself going over the fence and coming back in and out. Um, At one point, you know, I evaded for so long that I laid right on the flight line. I could see the cars coming towards me. They were coming from both directions. So I pulled my sleeves down over my hands and hid my head in my arms and laid flat and still. And cars drove right by me, like 60 feet, but I was laying on the edge of the flight line. And again, they would never expected me to be there. So um, gumption can be good. It can be fun. It can be exciting. Um, but it can be reckless too. I mean, there's a part of it that, you know, that risk assessment has to be there. Yeah. You have yeah. to be able to be smart about things and not get hurt. And I'm not convinced I have always had that piece. <laughs> I like to think that as we get older, you, you learn a little bit more.
0: It almost makes me think too, like, like, how does gumption play into the perception of the person experiencing it? Like you just, you go and do something awesome, reckless, whatever the word. You come back and you're like, oh dude, that was so awesome. And you're like, I didn't even get like a black eye or anything. That was so cool. And the other person in the room is like, that was the scariest and most terrifying thing I've ever done. And I hated it. You know, like the perception of experiences, how right. does that play into it too?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's all part of what gumption is. And it's, it's just, it's exciting um, to break it down and and think about it. Um, But it's, you know, it's not an easy topic. I think there's a lot of layers to it. And, you know, when you're raising kids, and you think, well, gosh, I I want to raise my kids to have some gumption, because Mm -hmm. you feel like it's a positive trait. Mm -hmm. And while that's true, um, for me, I feel like that's, that's a great thing. I think, The mom in me says, do I really want them jumping off that, you know, cliff into the lake? Yeah, because that's great. That's grit. They're not afraid. Um, But how can I be sure that they're going to make good choices, that their risk assessment is spot on? Yeah. Right? Because I want them to realize that they can get really hurt if it's too shallow or if they hit a rock down there. Um, maybe jump feet first not head first like let's let's play let's play our adventures safely
0: Mm -hmm. let's talk about that so like so i mean another another interesting theme to this podcast is amy then versus amy now you know i think um i when we talked about this opportunity to, to sit down and have the podcast i i never knew all those crazy stories and that was that was just like frosting on the cake for me because i had already had it set in my mind that amy kretzer is a perfect example of gumption in our community you are doing all these things to volunteer it seems like you're doing although you're crushing your job you're doing more to support the community than your actual job so you're crushing both i mean you started the the community service. Uh, committee at our Rotary Club you're doing the chair for the Adirondack uh, United Way campaign and now you're uh, the president for the board of the YMCA it just it's like it just keeps going and you're a mom and you're just you're crushing it that's what I was thinking of so let's talk about Amy of today how do you how do you tackle all of that in in one week?
1: <laughs> In one week, uh, <laughs> they say like by de- eating an elephant, right? One bite yeah. at a time. I don't think it. I don't think it's. Um. I I don't know. I think that I don't see it as necessarily gumption. I don't. I just do what I do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't tap into some well of gumption necessarily. It's different now. You asked Amy then. Amy now. Um. I think I've tempered a little bit more um I mean having kids will will do that for you um I say for you not to you because it is a gift um kids can do that for you because suddenly there are more important things than you Mm -hmm. to consider and Amy then was more reckless and I think I was more adventurous I was seeking something different and I mean the ego was part of it Because I was good at stuff and I got rewarded for being good at stuff. And so what do you do? You do more good stuff. And then you get to talk about your good stuff, which is totally ego. So for many years as a young person, I was gathering stories feverishly. I wanted, I jumped out of planes. I've jumped into rivers uh, without, uh, whitewater rafting without the raft. Okay. It's called river surfing in New Zealand. Um, You know, I've done a lot of different kinds of crazy things that maybe you know maybe other people would do too I think we all have stories like that but I was feverishly grabbing onto those things to make my life rich Mm -hmm. like I wanted this this richness through my stories and through my experiences and I don't think it's a bad thing nor do I think it's unique Ryan you know Mm -hmm. I think we all sort of do that it's just the different stories you gather up
0: Right. So
1: now I guess as um, as an adult and a and a professional, like you say, my stories are less about me. Right. And they're more about the big picture. Mm -hmm. And that's, I just think, a natural response to getting older and aging and, you know, becoming more more focused on your family on bigger things on on your kids on your life um, on your community right those young amy stories were very self-motivated and yeah. very self-directed yeah um so there is a a difference and you know gumption's not a static thing it should change like we do right if, yeah. if it stayed the same like anything it would it would probably not be a good thing so the gumption that drove me as a young person is not what drives me today. It's a different feeling, and it's a different, a different motivation.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about gumption and parenting, because I mean that's just interesting to me. So you want you want your kids to experience life in the great way that you did, but you want them to be safe.
1: Right. I, you know, when we look at kids. Today, of course, and everybody wants to talk about how <laughs> the, the, today's generation is the worst generation and, you know, yeah. whatever. Kids yeah. are not like how we were. Um, my goal, and I, I think that my kid's dad would agree in some respects, are our jobs as parents is to help our kids be independent, help them make good choices. That risk assessment piece is really, really important. But I spoke to it before, and I'll revisit it here, That that internal locus of control that says... I'm responsible for my successes, and I'm responsible for my failures. If we can instill that in kids, it can make a difference. There is, um, and my research is old because I'm old, now older, and obviously I'm drawing on a degree in psychology that I got back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously it's been a long time, but you know, research back then was was talking about how um, external locus of control you know, those people that think that the world around them is in charge of everything and that they're just a product mm. kind of being bounced around, um, that people that have external locus of control have an increase in depression, Interesting. Okay? They feel out of control. They feel like they're not worthy. They feel fear. They feel um, more of those things, Yeah. right? And so there is a positive correlation there. Um, so it's it is interesting. And as a parent, if we can teach our kids... Um, that, that they have that ability to control the world around them and that they are, in fact, good at things and they have to own their failures, right? Here's a simple example. Um, I look at my kids and they do something very well. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, I am so proud of you, which, of course, that's your instinct, right? right? We all want to say that. Right. I am so proud of you. I say instead, on purpose, You must be so proud of yourself. Mm. Okay? It's a subtle difference, but I think that is the subtle difference. Interesting. You must be so proud of yourself, Kara. You got right up there. I mean, Kylie got up there at her her concert uh, last year. She was in the second grade, and it was her last year at Bailey Avenue, yeah, at the school, and she got up on stage, and she wanted to sing a song, and she didn't have... Backup music. She just sang it a cappella. Wow. She got up there, and she forgot the words halfway through, <laughs> and everybody laughed. And she sat there for a second, and she thought about it, and then she just kept going, and it was funny, and everybody laughed, and at the end they clapped really, really big. And she, she was at first, she was like, "That was awful," and I yeah. said, "No, I said it wasn't awful. I said you must be so proud of yourself. You did not run off the stage." Yeah. You didn't run off the stage in tears.
0: Stayed calm, cool, and collected.
1: She's and, like, and... but mom, I wanted to. <laughs> well, that's the essence of it. Yeah. Of course you wanted to. You wanted to run off and cry and never go back. Yeah, You know, never look at any of those people again. And you didn't. Mm. You must be so proud of yourself. Um, you know, yeah, you forgot the words. Well, you forgot the words. You know, that's okay. And you were terrified and that's okay too. So yeah. I think we can cultivate that. Um, that if kids can own their failures, then they can also own their successes, and that internally motivates them. I think. I think. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, that's interesting to think about. I think about, I think about my childhood, and I, I mean, I think I was incentivized to do things for my myself for an internal locus of control, but I think I also had some external locus of control mm-hmm. um I, in my last episode with Tom bull I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here like I <laughs> this is good therapy for me <laughs> I was, uh I so I told him a story about how I uh my wife ran a full marathon last year and she had a very and and I tried uh I've done half marathons before but we had a very bad experience uh in Rhode Island where it was raining and it was gross and I I fell down. I tripped. And, That'll wreck you. <laughs> yeah, and Gumby Ryan fell over, and uh, I was done. Uh, mentally, I I did not have the motivation anymore. But um, <clears throat> she had that internal locus of control. That was the difference. Mine was external. Of I'm doing it for her, not necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's an interesting it- way of perceiving your life if you can if you can wake up every day and think about it that way.
1: Well, yeah, to have the power to shape your day, you know, I'm going to get up, I'm going to have a good day, not my boss is going to do this, or my coworkers are going to be that, or I'm going to be shaped. A lot of that comes back to our ability to, to be able to be in control of it and to be able to sort of, to some degree, at least think we are Mm -hmm. right. Because it's perception. I mean, obviously the world happens to us. I didn't choose my dad to die. I didn't choose, you know, my sister has lost her son and she didn't choose that right? We don't choose a lot in the world. The world does happen, Mm -hmm. but our Mm -hmm. attitude is what we choose. So our perception about it. And, you know, to think that that happened to me, um, is interesting because I think in life, if you go about your life thinking it happened to me versus it happened for me, I think that that is a big, a big difference. The world does not happen to me. It happens for me. And we learn from those things because every time the world happens, you pick out something from it. And sometimes you're picking something out of the rubble, right? But if you can find something that serves you, you put it in your bag and you move on down the road. It goes mm-hmm. in your pack as a lesson that you picked up. So, you know, some people just think, God, well, I just got a shitty dealt, a hand dealt to me, yep. you know? And that's, it's unfortunate. And now I'm spending my whole life trying to overcome my circumstances. And while that may be true... You know, it happened for you. This mm-hmm. is an opportunity for you to take something out of it that you want, that you want to perceive, that's going to serve you well, not set you back. And I think that attitude is a huge part of it, a mm. huge part of it. And you don't always learn that as a young person. I mean, I, I have had to stumble upon that one in my 30s and 40s. I mean, this is not, that's not an easy one to tell a kid yeah. you know, or, or anybody. Yeah. You know, that's just a hard one to kind of pick up on. Um, But, you know, I do think to some degree I'm going to probably a lot of people may disagree with this, but I think that the children that are coming through now through school, through life, we and maybe I'm part of this, too, in some ways. I'd like to think I'm not, but I probably will fall in this in this hole, too, is that we want to overprotect our kids. We want to helicopter parent. And we want things to be successful for them because we feel like if they have the trophy, if they have, it builds self-esteem. We hear a lot about self-esteem and self-confidence. And, you know, we want all the kids to get a ribbon and we want all the kids to do well. And, you know, you, you want to protect them in that way. And I think what ends up happening is that they they develop the opposite of that internal locus of control because our biggest lessons in life aren't from the times we won, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it, Ryan, you could probably think of, you know, the top three things in your life that have shaped you and made you the man that you are today. They weren't the good things. Well, maybe your marriage, you know, getting married, there are good things along the way, right? There are things, babies being born. I mean, those are positive things, but the real growth happens when it's hard. Yep. That's when it happens. Yep. People die, people leave, people do things, events happen, you know, you have a heart attack. And it changes who you are, Mm -hmm. right? Fundamentally at the core. And those are the opportunities where life happens for you, not to you. But you have to go through that. And I think kids are being raised with this idea that, you know, that life should just happen for me. Things should just line up because because it happened from the beginning for them. The parents that are outside standing, you know, they're letting their kids climb the tree, but there they stand saying, Johnny, that's too high. Come Mm -hmm. on back down. Don't step on that one. It's too thin. That's not going to hold you. I mean, you and I, our parents let our dumbasses fall out the tree. That's what happened to us as as kids.
0: Now my head's like a weird shape the rest of
1: (laughs) Mine too. I got lumps that probably made me gumptious.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got this weird dome shape now and hats don't fit right.
1: No. (laughs) Our parents said, go outside and don't come back until the streetlights come on. Yep. They weren't there telling us, you know, don't do that. We had to decide for ourselves. How wide the creek is? Can I jump it? Because if I fall in that sucker, my butt is in trouble. If I come home wet, my mom is going to kill me. Yep. So we had to decide whether or not we thought we could make it. And when we didn't, you know, there was you know that kind of ties
0: back to um, your point earlier about you know you want you want your kids to um, have the opportunity to be a little reckless, you know, within with a good risk assessment, but. That's exactly it. If if they're not actively practicing risk assessment.
1: How do you get it?
0: How do you get it? Yep, you get How it. do you know skinny trees or skinny branches
1: are not going to hold you? But I've fallen off one. You yeah. know, my mom let me fall in the pool as a kid. You know, she knew I was at the edge. She was right there to get me out of it. But not very many parents today are going to let their kid fall in the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you let them fall in once and they won't do it twice. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's a hard sort of hard lessons for parents and parents don't want to see their kids suffer. They don't want to let their kids fail. We want to help them so that they feel confident and all of that. But some of that comes from the failures and we don't need to keep shielding our kids from it. We want to, I mean, I kind of want them to, to fail in relationships and fail. You know, that's where the learning happens. You know, We, we want them to succeed too. But I think the real successes happen from learning from the failures. Yeah. So if we shelter our kids from those things, how do they ever really learn? You know, they don't. They don't learn as well. And maybe it takes longer to fine tune that risk assessment.
0: And there's, you know, the the common sense uh, piece of this too, which is if Johnny walks into the garage and uh, finds dad's chainsaw, like there's, okay, that's probably a moment when you should step in as a parent, right? right? <laughs> the common sense. But like... If he's out climbing the tree, I love the climbing the tree example because I've fallen out of trees when I was a kid. And it only takes that one sprained ankle to go, wow, I'm lucky I didn't break my foot. Like, Right. Um, I'm not going to do that again that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, the risk assessment is part of what makes the adventure exciting. And for me, I think, you know, sometimes it borders on manipulation or uh, manipulating a situation. Hmm. Um, I mean, I have a, you have an example of that. (laughs) Oh gosh. I knew you were going to ask me that as as I'm saying (laughs) it, I'm thinking, do I really want to go down that road? I mean, I have, when I was a kid, I'll, I'll just chalk it up to being um, dumb and bold and whatever else I was back then. I probably wouldn't do it this way now, but um, I remember coming back. You mentioned the ranch in Colorado and I, I did literally pick, it was a prize on the wheel of fortune. And I thought, well, I want to work there. So I I called up, and I I did get that job out there as a Wrangler. And on my way home my first year, so again, I was probably uh, 19 Mm -hmm. or so, and um, it was in the fall, and I was coming back to start my second year at University of Michigan. And um, in Chicago, the train ticket that I had bought was supposed to get me from Grand Junction to back to Michigan. And in Chicago, we pulled in and... The power was out there, and it was chaos. I mean, that's a lot of people in a very busy hub, and I'd never been to Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'd never stayed in a hotel before. I'd never um, been on a train before. This was the first time I'd been on a train. I flew from Japan to Colorado, so I, that was my first flight. I had never been on a plane before, so I'd been my plane ride there, but on the way back home, I took the train. So right. this is the first time for me, for every. I didn't know how it worked, so right. I, I get there. All I know is that I was... I paid good money for a train ticket and they were trying to put people in vans and get them the rest of the way in these 16 passenger vans. And I said, Oh hell no. (laughs) Like (laughs) to me, I spent good money. This is my college money. I put myself through college. I had to go out there to earn my money. So for me, $250 was my money that I'd spent on this train and I wanted the train to get me there. Yeah. So yeah you know, I sat for a while and I watched people be really, really horribly mean to the women and men behind the counter. Um, and it was appalling. I mean, I was a young kid from the Midwest where matters, manners matter. You know, I mean, I I couldn't imagine being rude to the people the way these people were being rude. Yeah. And I watched them talk to this guy named Ben. He had his shirt tag, said Ben, and he came out and he was in a pink shirt and his suit and he came out and it was Ben, I've got a call online too, and here's the situation. Ben, I've got this person who needs a voucher for the hotel. Ben, I need this, so on and so forth. So I realized Ben's the guys with the answer, right? He's the one that's kind of deciding. So I finally, this is where the, it's embarrassing kind of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's where the manipulation comes in a little bit because sure. I braided my hair into two braids to make myself look younger. I put um, my baseball hat on and my best smile, my big brown eyes. And I went up to the counter and I picked a, a, a lady who had been particularly harangued. And, yeah. I, and I just looked at her as kindly as I could, which was also true. Um, and I said, I'm so sorry that people have been so terrible to you. And sh- the relief on her face in that moment, Ryan, was like, oh, okay, good. I have a decent person in front of me first. Like, yeah. you know, sh- they brace for impact with each new person. And I walked up and, and by being kind... She finally, she she just re- relaxed and she said, honey, what can I do for you? And I said, well, Ben told me that you would um, take care of me. And she said, he said that? Yeah. Ben, tall, the, the pink shirt. And she said, well, Ben, yeah. Well, what did he say? Well, he said something about a hotel voucher and a dinner voucher. I don't even really know what a voucher is, but he said that you would help me. Well, he said that. He did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> So, I mean, it's a lie. It you was, know, he, he, I think he said that maybe. Well, he could have said that. I, don't I mean, know, I, thought I, f- I thought I heard him say that. <laughs> look, at
0: my, look at my braids. I'm young and I just need... Oh, I just need...
1: She, well, you know what <laughs> Please, she did? Please, sir, can I have here's some more? <laughs> I
0: know, right. Well, here's
1: the part about it. Now, some people would think that's awful, Amy. That is deplorable. You totally used her. You manipulated that situation. Um, what happened, though, was that she gave me a, a, a hotel voucher and told me how to get there using the shuttle... Um she also gave me a $50 voucher for dinner and suggested a good restaurant that's walking distance to, from the hotel that was safe. And then she let me call my mom so I could tell my mom I was going to be a day late. And wow. she was so happy to help me. And that's the truth of it. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit Robin Hood, right? Yeah. Like s- kind of steal from the rich and whatever. I mean, those vouchers were going somewhere, yep. right? The money was going somewhere. And I thought I've already paid for my ticket. And in my child mind, I justified it, mm-hmm. right? Now we could have a whole discussion about right and wrong, and that's a whole separate topic about ethics.
0: Have you back on the podcast again? Well, right, <laughs> ethics,
1: gumption, and ethics. Yeah. Right? At what point is it gumption, and what point is it just plain manipulation, and it's wrong? Because mm. you'd might get different camps on that one. Some people say, "Good for you, girl." You know, yeah. somebody else was advocating for themselves; they were yelling, you know. Up, up, and those who yell loudest got the vouchers. So you just did it in a different way that was actually kind of kind, at least. I mean, it might still be manipulative, but. yeah. Um, so, I mean, it has, it has layers to it. Mm. You know, sometimes gumption is resourceful. Maybe they call it resourcefulness, um, cleverness. I, I don't know if that was clever. I think it was self-preservation.
0: Mm. You know,
1: I was a kid and I'm stuck and I don't know how to do this and I don't particularly want to ride in a van all the way home so how do i get out of this how do i get them to give me what that guy just got (laughs) only he was nasty so you know Mm -hmm. honey flies i I don't know
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so you you go through all these experiences and you land the job of executive director at the north country um, association for the visually impaired
1: Yeah, that was, you know, it was good. It was, I think uh, the timing was right for that. I had stayed at home when the kids were little. I had worked as a director of development before that. And then when I had my two little girls, I stayed home for five years until they were in school. And coming right out of that staying at home situation is hard sometimes when you don't have a job to get a job. We Mm -hmm. all know that, right? And um, I think that the timing was right. Some of it's luck. Ryan, I mean, it just, it just so happened that that job came available just at the right time that my, my kids were in school and I was looking for something and they were looking for what I had. I mean, that's what happens when you get Mm -hmm. a job. Somebody's looking and somebody's looking (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they're looking for each other. And I, I mean, I I do think part of it is, is, is a little bit of luck. um, But it's also how you sell yourself right? Because I mean, that gumption piece, they were looking for somebody to, um, to kind of take the agency to the next level to give it, um, some more programs, new things, new energy. And I had that and it was outside of the box because this isn't something that I've done before. Um, so I was very grateful to get that job. Mm -hmm. Um, arguably there, there might've been other people that maybe would have done just as good as I have, but I mean, they gave it to me for whatever reasons they chose me. Um, Maybe it was because of my gumption. Uh, some of the people that hired me had seen me on different boards and seen me engaged in different things. And um, you know, honestly, the the best—it's a gift um, that they gave me. It was—it's a gift when you get a job or an opportunity like that. It's definitely a gift, and I and I'm—I was humbled to get it. I was 35 years old and um, ready to to do something new and to be an executive director coming out of a situation where I was at home with my kids. I mean, I I was very humbled Mm -hmm. by that and, um, have worked hard to try to earn it, Mm -hmm. right? Because when you're given the ability to do something or the opportunity to do something, not the ability, the opportunity, um, I'll try to rise to that occasion because I feel like I have to, I feel like I got away with something. And that's that's so true of so many things that have gumption required or gumption is tied to it is that, you know, you, you kind of feel like you got away with it, um, then now it's time to, now it's time to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. I've heard you say the phrase that, um, you'll be, you know, you might start the race behind, but, but you'll catch up and you'll, you'll win in the end. That's right? funny.
1: Yeah. And it's true because I'll never forget. Gordon Hazel hired me, um, at JCEO as that position for the director of development. And I was young, I was 25 years old and I had just moved into the Plattsburgh area and Uh, My background was not in development or fundraising or anything like that. And I remember interviewing with him and he, he, you know, he sat me down and said, you know, I've got this stack over here of qualified applicants. And he said, there's some pretty hefty people over here like that, that have a lot of weight behind them. Um, they have have proven numbers of successes and all this stuff. And, and he said, and then there's this pile. And he's like, this is sort of the circular file pile. <laughs> and he said, I try to pull one person out of there just to see, just to see. And he's like, you're that person. <laughs> I was like, great. Thanks for saving me from the trash. Yeah, And, um, you know, and in the, in the end, he asked me, he said, why should I hire you? And I said, well, based on everything you've already told me, you probably shouldn't do it. You probably shouldn't have, you know, you probably shouldn't hire me, um, when you have such good other candidates. But I do think that the drive that pushes people is a really important piece. So the people in this pile are the ones that start, they're way down the road. So they're up there. You talk about this half marathon, marathon and stuff that you've run, right? They're already at mile seven. And I'm definitely like still stretching at the start over here. Mm -hmm. And I told him, but you know, if you hire me, I will eventually outpace them. Mm-hmm. I will. And of course that comes with a lot of, you know, assumptions about yourself at 25 and your yeah. own, you know, inflated ego or whatever, yeah. but I'm
0: um, sort of this go get it. I'm going to roll my sleeves up and get it done. I'm going to figure out how to make it happen.
1: Yeah. Well, and I want it really badly. Like mm-hmm. it's really important to me because part of gumption is tied to desire and our need for something or our desire to have something. And maybe maybe some of these people in this pile over here already have a really good job. So, you know, for them to make this much money, it's maybe not that important to them. I thought if I get this job at 25 years old, that's going to be an awesome salary. I can't imagine. Like I was so excited about the possibility that I might get that job. And then once he gave it to me, I want to keep it because my god at 25 years old to be a director of development to have this opportunity it was a gift to me mm-hmm. whereas i don't it might have been a good opportunity for somebody else too but it was a downright gift to me and i cherished it and honored it and i think if you know part of that gumption is to make sure that you do that you, you go after the things that mean something to you
0: hmm. to help for the listeners that that maybe don't know um, exactly what it is you do or what your organization does. Why don't you give us like your, your elevator pitch?
1: Like my, my, my 30 seconds. Um, well the North country association, you can take more than 30 seconds for, <laughs> for the visually impaired. We help people who are blind, um, in the North country. So we serve Clinton, Essex, Franklin and St. Lawrence County and our staff go out into people's homes and help people kind of work with the challenges they have with their vision. So some people are blind from birth and they have no vision at all. And, They might relocate to a new house and have to be oriented to the house or, you know, be able to get around in their community. And that's, you know, it's what we do. Some people lose their vision slowly as they age through a degenerative process. And, you know, with it comes a lot of uh, anxiety and grief and concern. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's natural. So um, that's kind of our mission is in a nutshell to keep people as independent as possible for as long as possible.
0: Mm. What's a, what's, if there was one way that a listener could, could make the greatest impact by supporting you with maybe little effort, um, just the easiest way to support, I guess, not little effort, but the easiest way for someone to make a really large impact for your organization. What is it?
1: It's to tell people that we're there, Mm. honestly, because blindness is one of those things that you don't really think about it until it affects you you know, or somebody that, you know, it just isn't, I mean, have you ever, how many people who are blind do you know? Um,
0: I I don't, you'd have to think about it. I'd have to really think about it. Yeah.
1: Um, but what I know is that I already know that, you know, Two blind people because we are in the same circles. I have a, a person who's blind who's an executive director. Um, mm. And you may not know that he's blind, but he's legally blind and has been legally blind for a long, long time. So people who are blind are in our community all the time. Interesting. Um, they don't all use a white cane. They don't all have a guide dog, all those kind of stereotypical things. But yeah. um, there's some gumption for you, right? Yeah, that's some gumption. <laughs> Holy um,
0: smokes. You were talking to me uh, a while back about this, um, this device that helps uh, someone who's blind or partially blind read what or is that um
1: I, i'm a magnifier put, i'm or? putting
0: you on the spot but there was like a i feel like a while back <clears throat> uh, um i was supporting one of your fundraisers like a golf tournament or something and you told a story about how uh, like this 200 dollars, maybe just this one extra Oh, sure. Budget. Oh, uh, I remember it, that story. It, it, yeah, tell that story.
1: Well, it's I, just so cool because um, a lot of the people that we help in the North Country don't have 300 bucks for the adaptive equipment that can really help them. And our funding only goes so far. There's a lot of funding for people who are working or engaged in finding work, um, but there are plenty of people who are in um they're aging and they're not in a place or time where they're where they're working anymore and so Mm -hmm. funding for adaptive equipment for them is less and there's a a magnifier called a smart lux magnifier that's what it is yeah it just it's one of those really cool things and it's not super fandangled it's not so like wild and crazy because there's some really cool stuff out there but a lot of it is very expensive so that simple smart lux magnifier um allows people to to read. And this one, one person was, um, came to to ask Nakavi for help. And our staff went out to help her. And in the process, she said, you know, I've got, we were helping her with something unrelated to reading, but she said, I've got my three-year-old grandson full time who I, who I live with. And, and he's learning how to read. And she said, boy, I, my eyes are so bad that I can't see to read to him. And she said, I've been reading him these books by memory. And he's starting to catch on. Uh-oh. So, you know, yeah, right? So she's like, is there anything that you have because I I really, you know, I really want to um be able to read to him and but I can't afford anything and and Eileen tra- showed her this smart luck mag- magnifier and she just started crying and she said, "Oh my gosh." She said, "I can I can read." They were reading junk mail. She said, "I haven't been able to see this in 15 years." Didn't realize that I might be able to read. Wow.
0: And it had
1: taken her a long time to find the cavi, um but after being shown that she was able to read to her grandson. But the biggest thing she said, my gosh, she called me and said, Amy, I can, I can actually go to the grocery store and go in by myself and shop. Wow. I don't need an aide because up until that point, you know, she would ask somebody at customer service to walk her through and help her get stuff. Um, but the independence of being able to go and read the labels and be able to to shop I means simple but wow right that's huge. life-changing that's amazing work so yeah i mean that's a whole separate gumption discussion yeah. about people that oh are gosh. facing those kinds of challenges it's different it's different they gotta have a certain kind of grit and that's, they do so many of them do
0: that's amazing what 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 you're doing at Nakavi? that's amazing and um another reason why you're perfect for this podcast Aww. you and your team i'd like to pivot uh to some rapid-fire questions. Oh
1: no! <laughs> okay. I do this with I do nervous. this with pretty
0: much everybody, but but the rapid-fire questions are fun, and uh, I got three of them for you. Oh dear! So h- here's the first one: If you could give your give life advice to your 17-year-old self, what would it be?
1: <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, oh boy, that's tied to some regrets, right? A little bit, maybe. Maybe maybe not. Maybe Maybe not. not. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot of regrets, which is kind of a a lucky thing. I would probably say all of that gumption that you have and that grit that you have and that special passion for life that you have. That's great, 17-year-old Amy. But read up on ego. Here's this really great book. (laughs) Read up on ego and keep it in check. Mm. Because... I think I didn't do that so well as a young person. And I think a lot of that um, shaped some of my relationships or my... Interesting. uh, You know what I mean? Like there were things I was probably by default, maybe a one-upper or a storyteller because I had done it.
0: Not maliciously.
1: Not maliciously, but when somebody's like, oh, I went skydiving, I was like, yeah, I did that in New Zealand. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, or there was always one story Mm. bigger, better... And I think that that young people have that ego, right? They they kind of work through. Hopefully, I mean, I'm working through it. I obviously, you know, I mean, we're all still arriving where we're going. <laughs> I don't I know. L- Check the ego.
0: I love that. I love that. I think I think that's something that most people probably should consider. Um, here's question number two. You ready? No. Here, <laughs> Here it comes. Uh, of all the places in the world that you've traveled, which place? has had the biggest impact on your
1: life and why? Um, I think, um, well, right, you start scrolling through um, because... all of the places that all of us have been. Boy, you take those this lessons. This is
0: kind of an unfair question because I feel like I feel like your uh, database of places is it takes longer <laughs> to go through than I'm <laughs> here, people. like if people
1: are hearing crickets, like, like okay, click, click, what, click, click, what? Click, 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 click that one, that one, that one, um, that one, that one, that one. Okay, to be fair, I think probably the most important place that I went was through the doors at CVPH Medical Center when I had my kids. I think it was probably right here in Plattsburgh. Interesting. Because that is truly life-changing. When you have children, Steve Frederick told me this once. I'll never forget. We were going to a conference at Paul Smith's, and we, or uh, not a conference. It was uh, through the Adirondack Plan Giving Society, and, he, and mm-hmm. he was somebody that I carpooled with. And Steve told me, I was eight months pregnant, and I remember, like, you know, just seatbelt stretched across and we're going, you know, all the uncomfortable things about being pregnant. And he told me, and he's got a couple of kids of his own, three, I think. And um, he said, you know, Amy, you never really know what you really believe until you have to teach it to a child, your child, because that's where the rubber meets the road. And if you think about it, it's so true. It's really true. Like we have these values, we have ideas, we Mm -hmm. have thoughts, um, we have belief systems we have entire uh, cognitive structures and schemas around our own personal life and what we value and all this stuff. but when you have to teach it to a child, boy it suddenly changes things it gives it more weight you have a whole human that you're shaping that's going to go out into the world and affect change and he's so right
0: mm. so
1: I I mean you can travel I've been to many places that you, listed off but so have so many other people that is not unique to me i mean mm. traveling and stories these are that is life that's the journey um and the richness happens along the way if if you look for it and for me it was kids wow yep
0: that's awesome this is like my my favorite question oh okay. <laughs> this one's got this one's you learn a lot i learn a lot about each guest from this question um So if we could craft a three-person board of directors for your life, to guide, coach, and mentor you through the rest of your life, who would those three people be and why? They can be anyone, dead or alive, famous or not. Who would they be and why?
1: (laughs) I'll spit it out fast, but then I'm going to regret it. Because the first three that came up to my mind was uh, Barack Obama, um, Pima Shadron. And, and Bradley Cooper, because he's beautiful, and who wouldn't want him on your board for, like, ever? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> okay. uh, and,
0: and I will admit that. Dude, dude's charming, and he's good-looking. Okay.
1: That's my funny response. Um,
0: so why Barack?
1: I I think he's amazing. I think mm-hmm. he's, he's fantastic. Uh, I think he is humble, and he's made mistakes, and he's screwed it up. You know, he's done a lot of stuff, but he is, um, to me, just... A, a very very strong example of somebody who's got a lot of gumption mm. um, when you read Audacity of Hope and some of his earlier stuff as a senator um, you know to have that responsibility as a president it changes who you are and I bet I don't know obviously we can't I bet that it would be um, it would be amazing to have his experience and wisdom and and humble failures and many successes all piled into one person who seems to also be a very good dad. I mean, I don't know that. I mean, we don't yeah. know like that. We only know what we think, but it seems um, that way. Yeah. It seems that Pima Shadron is a, is a Buddhist nun um, in America. So she has a lot of peace and, and uh, a lot of really good wisdom. And mm. you know, Bradley Cooper's just handsome. So whatever, those are my funny <laughs> answers, my real board of directors. And here's the truth. Like if I really think about it, um, it's my mom because she knows me better than anybody else. And, Um, and she's out for my best interests always like her, her whole purpose is for me to survive. Like, right. As parents, we want our offspring to live. So she's driven to protect me. Um, it'd be my sister's sister. If I had to pick one, I wouldn't. But, um, but my sister, because she is equally as lost as I am. Right. She's in it and we are in it and it's awful um equally lost, equally as confused, mm. and I can't think of a better board member to have than somebody who's gonna work through it together. Yeah. And when you pull your confusion, out of that confusion can come really wicked clarity. Um, but yeah. it's somebody that's in it with you. So I'd pick my sister and then probably my therapist. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> right? Because the therapist, she's so good. She's like, they don't give you the answer. Again, they right. guide you. Right. But th- she tells me that I have it already. Mm-hmm. It's within you. You have the answers, Amy. It's up to you. You have the map. You get to decide You know where how your past and your gumption and your this and your that. You decide how that shapes what you're going to do next. And so a therapist is always turning it back on you. They don't give Mm -hmm. you advice and tell you what to do. God, that would be great. I mean, I'd love to pay $75 to somebody who would give me the answers. Yeah. Because wouldn't that be great? Yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah. Um,
0: That's a commonality of a lot of the other uh, guests. They they all pick somebody different, but it's someone who in their mind is going to answer their question with a question.
1: Yeah. Isn't that funny? (laughs) I think that's true. I think you can get a really rich experience when you have uh, to figure it out.
0: Yeah. And Tom, Tom Bull uh, talked about, um, you know, we were both talking about, you know, go outside, spend time, turn everything off. So it's silent. And he's like, it's actually really freaking loud.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely.
0: But you have to do that. You have to do that for sure. Uh, I want to give you one last um, chance, Amy, to uh, plug... Nikavi uh, or anything that you're (laughs) doing. Uh, This has been a fantastic podcast, fantastic conversation. Um, Anything you'd like to sending message about anything you're working on or. uh, I I
1: think um, not just Nikavi. I think I just would be happy to have um, people work towards a bigger goal, whatever Mm. it is that you do. Um, Mike Carpenter is an amazing individual. I hope you do him for gumption. I hope you have him on your show. Um, He's amazing. I, I met with him yesterday um, to talk about his new project. And I'll tell you, there are there are so many people out there that are doing things and making things happen because it's a cause that's outside of themselves, right? If we start looking out instead of looking in, the change that we could make are really impactful, really meaningful. And, you know, there are so many people out there that are doing just that. So, you know, I, I, I don't I don't see myself as a different than a lot of other people that are doing that. There's so many in mm. our community. So I'm, mm. I just, I'm humbled that you would think that I have gumption and, uh, now I have to go live up to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I
0: appreciate the investment of, uh, sweat equity that you put into the community, not, um, uh, just, uh, financial equity because that's important too but like i work for a nonprofit, ryan there's not you, guys, you, <laughs> there's a
1: reason why sweat equity is important to me <laughs> yeah you you get out
0: there you roll up your sleeves and you get it done so i appreciate that and it definitely doesn't go unnoticed by me
1: well i do it alongside of a lot of really great people doing the same thing so
0: thanks. awesome amy kretzer everybody awesome guest thank you again for being on the show amy thanks uh, for having me yeah and uh again If you are interested in some locally sourced farm fresh eggs, we are sponsored by Open Gate Farmstead. Happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. Give them a shout on social media and uh, let them know you listen to the Gumption Podcast and they'll give you a buck off your first order of eggs. Until next time. Thanks, everybody.